Welcome in to the Subconscious Mind Mastery Podcast. This is an episode that is going to be for some of you. It will pique your interest, and some of you just shouldn't even listen on. <laughs> I'm telling you, this one is not for everybody, and I am setting that up from the very beginning. This is something that has been on my mind for a while, and I think it is because I firmly believe that we are in the middle of this consciousness shift. We are in the middle of a change. The universe, to me, triggered this tilt, if you will, January of 2020, when the planets Saturn and Pluto aligned in the sky. If you trace that aspect back over the history of the last four times, three times that it was in the sky, there always was a change. And I think we are in that, as evidenced by a pandemic basically being right there at the same time. And part of that shift is an increase in consciousness. In fact, it's likely that this is going to be a very spiritually awakened time coming. Out with the old, in with the new. The new is more conscious, more spiritual, lighter, brighter, better. Now, I have felt personally that a lot of people are being called up into spiritual service or spiritual work. And one of the things that I think is worth taking a look at is how seriously do you want to play on the court? Do you want to dabble? Do you want to be a bystander? Or do you want to be a participant? guy I used to work with said, put me in, coach, I'm ready. <laughs> it meant like, I'm game on. This podcast is for you who are in the latter group, the game on crowd. And what's been on my mind is blockages to being game on and being fully on the court. And one of the things that came through, this is my own journey, folks. This is, I'm not preaching, I'm not evangelizing, and I'm not selling. I'm telling a story. I'm telling a story of a benefit that I have had personally and our guest today has had over three decades ago that can increase your effectiveness if you want to be on the court fully. I'm saying it can. I'm not saying it's absolute. I'm saying it is possible. And you already know from the title of the podcast what we're talking about. In 2018, I decided that alcohol would be in my past. In 1847, I think, <laughs> my buddy Hemet decided that alcohol, no, <laughs> it was probably in the, uh, in the 80s, the 1980s, late 80s or early 90s for Hemet. But it was something that both of us have experienced in different ways, and we've experienced outcomes that are different, but both productive. So I wanted you to hear Hemet's story. So I've asked him a couple of questions. He prepared for this, and we got on the phone and had a little conversation about why he decided to do it, how hard it was, and what was there in its exchange. So for some of you, this story might resonate. It might be a curiosity point. It might be educational. And for some of you, it will be something that you want to do, at least to give it a try. So here is my Aspen buddy, my friend, spiritual co-journey partner, and ski buddy. On his birth certificate, it says Mark, but his spiritual identity 
is Hemet Singh DeVault. Hemet, welcome back. And let me say, happy birthday. Well, thank you for remembering. And as an astrologer, that means a lot that you have seen the significance of where birthday is and remember. So it's good to be back. Good <laughs> well, to be back with you, Thomas. Well, a good calendar alert for your ski buddy never hurts, too, as well. Yes. So. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate you being willing to talk about this because it's been on my mind, and I think you could do it as neutrally and gently and right up the middle and authentically as anybody I I could even imagine taking on this topic. So, first of all, thank you for being willing to just have this conversation. And You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'd like to know the story of giving up alcohol, and then what's it been like since? Well, it started, you know, when I was, you know, just young. I saw my parents and their lifestyle. They were not alcoholics. They drank socially. I never remember seeing my dad come home from work and reach in the refrigerator for a beer because there wouldn't be any in there. He had a liquor cabinet. So I see their socializing. I see that alcohol was a very big part of that. So in age 15, I uh, got my brother's driver's license, who was 18 at the time, and I was with the envy of my buddies, my group, and we, I was able to buy a beer for everybody. So it became part of my life as being cool, being part of my group of friends, and it was just part of our social. And this was never a big deal. I was just, oh, at that age, you're experimenting, so there were a few times I uh, overdid it. And those were not pleasant. So it was just more of a moderation. College, whole different story. Much higher level of consumption, of social pressures. Not pressures, but the, you know, you're part of a, I was in a fraternity at Kansas State University. And 1976, there's a lot of alcohol in this whole culture there was, you know, we party, have fun, study hard, have fun. Out of school, uh, living in Dallas, socially drinking, not to excess because I was driving. And it was not at home. It was not a big deal. But I married a woman who was an alcoholic. And to her credit, towards the end of short marriage, she said, oh, I got a problem and started going to AA. So I reduced it considerably. We were not drinking much at home, but we went out. We went out. After the divorce and moved to Washington, D.C., much less, again, socially, being with people. And then the event happened and then I went to a yoga festival experience in New Mexico. I've been doing this type of yoga, Kundalini, for about eight months. And just, whoa, very deep spiritual experience. My Kundalini rose, had a lot of healing. And the culture of this community of yogis was that, hey, we don't drink. We don't smoke pot. And and the reason was it's this interferes with this practice. It would diminish the experience I just had. So I returned back to D.C. and just drank almost never. The pot, I think I just finished up what I had, what little it was. And by fall of 1991, I said, well, I'll just stop. And part of it was I was doing this morning yoga, the sadhana. And the mornings after being out with my friends, just a, a beer or two at the most, it just wasn't the same. A little fuzzy. The deeper experience was not there. So in fall of 91, I was like, well, this is an easy choice. I chose. Was it hard to give it up? I confess it was not. It seemed to be when I made the decision, it was gradual over like three months of trial and error with the drinking and the yoga. And I said, okay, this is just 
it wasn't so much like a 90-day challenge or like, oh, let's do this for a while. So it was like, okay, I choose not to. And I just made a very concise, I don't think I ever had the consciousness of, well, I'll never have another drink again. It was just like, I'm stopping. The pot was a little more, oh, I'm going to miss that. And my pot experiences were typically alone. I would go to the movies. I would stay home with headphones on, just you know, chilling out to music. And that was really what I did pot for. I didn't come home and get stoned just to sort through my mail and <laughs> do you know cooking and stuff. So I was kind of missing that a little bit. But then it was like the effects of marijuana in the yoga practice are so much worse than what alcohol is. It's like easy choice. Now that's interesting because a lot of people would argue that pot is less impactive on you really than alcohol. I mean, people don't get D-U-M, <laughs> yeah. right? But you get a D-U-A or D-U-I all the time. So what's the difference there relative to the what's going on with the yoga? I'm going to get kind of yogic science on us here. Um, the effect of marijuana on the body, primarily in the body, I'll get to the mind in a moment, in the spine. And the spine is vital to our yoga practice to create that spiritual wahe guru, the undescribable ecstasy of the realization that you're divine, unlimited, and powerful. And what it does to the spine is there's a yogic Ayurvedic term called oja. So that's like the essence of the spinal fluid. You know, it's got its minerals, its hormones, it's, but this is the essence. And what the THC does, it compromises the spine in that energy. And in the chemistry of the spinal fluid. An analogy that was shared with me by a teacher was, you know those garden hoses that you lay across the, the flower bed, and it's got tiny little holes poked in it, and you turn it on, and just gives this very gentle spray to the flowers and such. That's what THC does to your spine. It doesn't have that pressure needed to get the kundalini energy up to your head and to have these profound experiences. Also, the THC is sticky, a sticky uh, element that we introduce into our bodies. And it gets primarily stuck in the medulla. That is uh, part of the brain that the spinal cord connects to, and it gums it up. And what restricts is spinal fluid, the cerebral spinal fluid needed to keep our brains healthy and vibrant, and also a block to any energy that's coming up. Well, block, it's a restriction, congestion. So it limits what energy that, you know, but it's prana, kundalini, she, it's going to restrict it. You really, literally, or you know, having a, a bottleneck from the backside, but it's a bottleneck because it's just restricting the flow into the brain. So that's marijuana, you know, quick overview. Alcohol, it's an, an interesting concept with alcohol. It produces dopamine, a glandular secretion that makes us feel good. That seems pretty obvious, people who drink. Well, yeah, you know, have a glass of wine, be with friends, and, and they part of the Dopamine comes from the social interaction or the this event of having a, a beverage. So that creates that that buzz. Oh yeah, things are great. The catch is it also produces hormones in, from the glands that depress us, that slow us down, that limits our brain neurological activity. So it's not a very good balance. Dopamine by itself is like what mass and avenue advertisers have perfected to create an image like, ooh, I want that. That's going to bring me pleasure to buy that product and use that service. And the glands that create the, oh, slowing down, they go by the name 
GABA, which reduces energy levels. It has an effect similar to what Xanax and Valium do. So nevertheless, this balance is not fulfilling for the individual. So that's a quick overview of the differences between alcohol and marijuana on the body. Much more depth will be out, more details. Was it difficult when you made the decision to execute the decision? No, I, I had a higher yes. By that point, I've been doing this Kundalini Yoga almost a year. And I kept thinking back to things. That, it wasn't just like one master teacher saying, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs. It was just other teachers, other people I was you know, sharing a meal with. And it was just so natural to them, just like, oh, I just gave it up. So I said, well, I can do the same. So the conscious decision was, like I think said referenced earlier, is that it's like, well, let's do this. And I was just primarily in the moment. But I think the key, though, was the commitment that I was able to do because I had a higher purpose, a higher yes. Uh, it, I knew it affected my practice. I had these experiences and wanted to build momentum from that, go deeper, and alcohol diminishes. Were you perceived differently in your social circles after you made that decision? Oh, great question. Um, when I returned back to Washington, D.C. after that solstice yoga experience, my circle of friends were younger than I. I was mm, 33, 34, and most of them were like 26, 27. We were all architects, working in the same firms, and knew each other well. And then there was a, my, my party circle. Uh, I came back, no judgment, no you know, who, oh, 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 look at me now. It was us. I go, oh, I have a ginger ale. And the people are like, what? I go, I'm just, I just, I'm just taking a break from it. I just had this great yoga experience. I'm just chilling out. And that was all I said about it. And I noticed um, the energy of the group <laughs> around me changed. And we went out a few more times. And I was not judging. I was uh, actually made just like, hey, wow, we got a designated driver every time we go out. Um, but maybe it's just, age difference and just my change in lifestyle and um, we didn't get together that much. No hard feelings. People move on, especially at that age and that, that time of our lives. Uh, other people, family, no big deal. I like my mom was like, Oh, that's interesting. My father's like, whatever makes you feel good. My brother and sister was like, I couldn't care less what you do. So um, that was really about it. And the only thing that I would experience and would share with the listeners is that when I go to social events, parties, I don't make a big deal of it. I say, oh, this is, I, people who know me well enough, no, I don't. Another comes up. It's, they often, oh, can I, go, can I bring back something to the bar? I go, yeah, I'll some club soda, please. And people who don't know me well, and who say, oh, can I bring something? I say, oh, no, I'm just, I'll get myself. I'm not alcoholic. And if I get offered pot, I go, oh, no, I, I don't partake. It would just crush my buzz. And but actually, it was a very good invitation to open a conversation. But, okay, why don't you do this? Because I live in Aspen, Colorado. Uh, quick data, there are 10 pot dispensaries in a town of 7,000 people. We have a lot of guests, but it's still 10 to that ratio. And it's around. Almost everyone I know smokes or partakes. And it's like, okay, no big deal. It's hard as I, I don't miss it. Yeah, but that's the extent of it. It's a, I'm, I'm very, very comfortable with it. You used the term, you had a greater yes, can you go deeper into what that meant to you, what it felt like, and why it was such a replacement? Sure. That's, uh, I think part of it was I had spent a lot of time in my life. No, not, I knew I didn't. I was not like everybody else. And that, you know, I became agnostic in high school. <laughs> I uh, liked 
foreign films and um, the music I liked was not like my friends. And there was always an inner part of me. It's like, hmm, where's my source? What's Where's my soul? And went through that nasty divorce, and it was a kind of the dark night of the soul, and started looking around. Like, okay, this model did not work. And I started checking into meditation, new age thought, not so much techniques, but thought. But most of the meditation, I would meditate before going to work. And a friend of a friend invited me. He said, oh, you, you might like yoga, because I was doing martial arts, thinking that might become a nice balance between meditation and being active. So it took me or invite me to this Kundalini yoga class. It's only about four blocks from where I was living in downtown D.C. It clicked. Okay, this is what I was looking for, but I didn't know what I was looking for. And that changed a lot of the inner architecture of my brain. Started thinking differently and experience, mostly experiencing the depth of who is, at that time, Mark. Now I go by him. So let's bring it forward. It's been over 30 years since you made that decision. How is it for you today? Yes. Possibly the best choice ever made. When I think of the ups and downs, the trials, the traumas and dramas of life in those 30 years, if I didn't have this practice, this consistency of moving my body as I breathe to create this powerful pranic energy within, and from that I'm able to stabilize, balance the nervous system, the glandular system, my mind can get into that quiet space, and I'm able to meditate deeply. Which is essentially what yoga is. It's a preparation to the body and mind so we can meditate. And in that meditation, you're experiencing the depth, the width, the infinite that is you. And doing that consistently kept me afloat. Um, the rudder of the sailboat is steady and strong, whatever the weather or state of the sea. And it just gave me the Peace and calm of knowing that you know, there is an infinite divine essence that is who I am. To everyone, is has that same essence, that divinity. And my thought is, why would I cloud that? Why would I consciously put things into my body that were going to disrupt? And I speak to people about this on this level. I've been be doing possibly the most sophisticated, powerful yoga, meditation, spiritual tradition on the planet, possibly. Why would I do anything to jeopardize that or slow it down, cloud it? So I don't preach. I don't walk around with a billboard on my chest saying we should close the bars. It's I'm libertarian that way. People can make their choices. I just made my choice. It becomes really just a personal decision, doesn't it? Yeah, it's personal, and also there is a possibly a karma. Say, you know, this, you've been doing this for a long time. Try it this way. There is a community of people very similar to me in that whether they're doing Qigong, prayer, Hatha yoga, and they're like, you know, this is a very nice thing I'm doing here. I don't want to cloud up either. And then there's a few I've met, and which is really refreshing. Oh, yourself included, Thomas. So, you know. I don't think this is really right for me right now. I'm going to take a break. And that break is still. I have a colleague I know in town, and he just said, you know, I think I've been drinking too much. I'm just going to stop. Dumped into him the other day, skiing. But, you know, hey, I've seen you a while. What's going on? You know, how's it going? Well, you know, occasionally I have a sip, but, you know, it's fine. So there's many routes to that choice. 
many yeses. This is a very important question, too, and one that I think you've done a very good job with. And the umbrella is being social without being judgmental. And here's what I'm going at with this. You think about the two groups. Here is somebody who doesn't, has chosen not to drink, and here is the group that is drinking. Drinking obviously changes your state. So as the state changes of the people who are drinking, it's kind of a divergence that happens with both groups because the group looks over at the person who is not drinking and they think, well, you're weird or your state isn't changing. So you're, you know, you're a fuddy-duddy. And the person who is not drinking looks over at the group and goes, you guys are becoming obnoxious. (laughs) (laughs) So these, these two perspectives. And really, if you notice the commonality there is both groups are judging the other. Oh, yes. So how do you do this and not judge? It was a very vivid uh, memory for me at the uh, winter solstice event in Florida. That's during the December 21st week. My teacher had this lecture with almost like a hip-hop rap rhythm, like do not judge, it makes you small. Do not judge, it makes you small. And so it's a intention I have, and I fail miserably many times. But in these type of social situations, I don't do it every time I walk into a cocktail party or event with friends. I don't say, oh, don't, don't, don't judge. It's just it's where I am at the moment. And because judging people makes you small. And to get back to kind of the essence of your question, uh, when I first moved to uh, Aspen, I was working for an architectural firm, and these kids were – right out of college, working this architecture firm. They were having the time of their life. They were living in Aspen. They were having a great time. So we go out, typically, you know, Friday, the happy hour scene. And I would have a great time with them. Uh, but they were young, and it was obviously almost like competitive drinking for them. So let's, you know, hypothetically, I'd be getting out of the office at 6. By 8, you know, the conversation, the interest I have is waned. <laughs> I go, hey, gosh, to y'all guys, you know, I got run home. I got, you know, do my own thing. I get up early, you know, uh, have a great night. Be careful. And so I think it probably happens about the same time. They're going, man, this guy's such a drip, man. We're just getting plastered. And there's also not every time, but most of the time I'm in this energy they're creating. Their auras, their dopamine is like, you know, woo, 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 woo. and I'm having a good time with them. Not having the use of alcohol. It's just their energy, their, their playfulness and, It's fun for a little while, but then it's not. (laughs) Great birthday message. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I knew you were the right guy for this. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed the uh, questions. It gave me a moment to reflect and articulate my feelings and thoughts on this. But um, I want to finish with I'm not preaching to anybody. I'm not judging anybody. I just want to share with you there are choices that you can I'm to alter things for you. Awesome. Hemet, thanks right. a bunch. Thank you. This is a great experience. Have a great next lap around the sun. Thank you. And as we always close these episodes out, we'll leave it right there just to say, enjoy the journey. The opinions on this podcast are those of the host based on personal experience only and are not intended as medical or psychological advice. If you are experiencing symptoms that require professional treatment, please contact a licensed medical practitioner.
The stories and opinions expressed on this podcast are independently those of the host and guests and are not intended to be taken as medical advice or to replace medical care from a licensed professional when appropriate.